Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we are hearing from God's Word with this Sunday's sermon. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. I'm going to read from um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order, that, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Thanks, honey. Uh, oh, thank you, Kate. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Okay. It's uh, an amazing passage, isn't it? And, and I really felt led to share with you this morning from this uh, passage in Deuteronomy. So, 
let's just think about what God is saying. And I really felt led just to find, I found this verse, I don't know how I ended up choosing this, but I really feel it's come alive for me. So we have uh, the Sermon on the Plain, all right? We've been looking in Luke's Gospel at the Sermon on the Plain. Well, here we have another Sermon on the Plain, except here it's the Plains of Moab. And the speaker this time is Moses. And this is the wonderful book of Deuteronomy, which contains various speeches that Moses gave on the plains of Moab by the shores of the river Jordan. And we'll put a picture up in a minute of that. But although I would refer today to money, I think that both this book and God's message to us today is far bigger than money. God is calling us to a fresh expression of our total and uh, loyalty and love for him uh, in the light of his total love and loyalty for us. And really, the book of Deuteronomy is at the heart of the Old Testament. The context is this. Let's just take that slide off because everyone's uh, looking away. Um, The context is this. Um, We have the Exodus, all right? and uh, the Red Sea, and Mount Sinai, and they've, they've now spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around the wilderness, and a generation has passed away, and Moses is now an old man, and they're on the cusp of a new day as the people of God. They're camped on the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan. Okay, we can have a look at that picture after all. Thank you. Uh, They're camped there on the east of the Jordan. They've had some minor skirmishes, which have given them some confidence. But now they need to cross the Jordan. They need to enter into the promised land. And at the beginning of Deuteronomy in chapter 1, it says this. God says, you've been at this place for long enough. Now I want you to break camp and to advance. It's time to move on. Cross the Jordan. Come, take your inheritance. And so Moses is saying, your fathers wrote their story. God wrote their story. Now it's time to write your story. Moses is passing the baton on to the next generation. He's going to die. Uh, They're going to cross the Jordan, and uh, he is going to... uh, going to lead their, uh, see them moving in to the next phase of their calling. Now, Deuteronomy then is a collection of Moses' speeches, and it is a pivotal book in the Old Testament. It's a turning point. It's the culmination of the Pentateuch, the fir- first five books of the Old Testament, reminding them of their history, of God giving them the law, of God calling them as his people, and Deuteronomy is a prelude to the historical books that are going to come, which record them entering into the promised land, becoming a people with a city and a temple and a king. Now, this book has got a sense of urgency about it, all right? It is a rhetorical tour de force. Now is the time, says Moses, for wholehearted obedience. Now is the time to make a decision You, young generation, as you're about to go into the promised land, the word today is used 48 times in the uh, book of Deuteronomy. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Moses is saying it's urgent. Now is the time. This is your moment. 
And of course, we know that central statement in chapter 6 and verse 8, the Shema, repeated by the Jews twice a day. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, I'm going to give you three headings that I hope will unpack this chapter for us. And so, first of all, we look at how they're called to remember, how they are to respond, and how they are to be released. And this is about, as I say, money, but it's about something much bigger than that. As we give, we are remembering, we're responding, we're responding to God, and we're being released. But there's, it's wider than that as well. So first of all, remember. And in verse 14, it says this, remember that God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. So that was their big defining moment, wasn't it? Now, we've all seen The Prince of Egypt, that excellent movie, but it's got a very modern twist because, of course, in The Prince of Egypt, it's all about freedom. They've been set free from slavery. But that's only half the story because actually God was redeeming them so that now they would have a new master. They're not free in a sense because they now belong to him. They've been purchased by him, redeemed by him. They belong to him. There is their, he is their Lord and master, very different from Pharaoh, of course, a master who loves them and wants the best for them if they'll only fully commit themselves to him. And so as Paul tells us, we have been redeemed. We've We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Let us remember how God protected them. In verse 15, it says this, He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, a thirsty and waterless land with venomous snakes and scorpions. God protected them through a dangerous 40-year period, living in the wilderness. It was tough. They've just been through a prolonged, really tough time. Now, I don't know how people perceive me. You know, we all wonder how people perceive us, don't we, sometimes in life. I suspect that uh, people may perceive me as this kind of hopelessly optimistic person that seems to be always smiling. And, you know, I keep coming to God's word, and so I come back with hope, and I seem to be always kind of, full of, you know, well, it's okay, it'll be all right, God's with you, don't worry. Uh, It's now pouring with rain. Uh, But um, I think people can perceive me as that. But, you know, I want you to know today that it's tough. You know, these last couple of years have been tough, and I'm the first to acknowledge that from first-hand experience as well. And I know that people have been through genuinely difficult times. It's been full of stresses and strains, hasn't it, these last couple of years? I mean, I'm not going to go through a list, but there's been bereavements, there's been losses, there's been worries about family, there's been worries about finance, there's been uncertainty, there's been challenging work situations for people. I think people are suffering from a kind of long COVID exhaustion, if you like, okay? I don't think we should underestimate the effect that this disruption has had on us and on our psyches. You know, if you find yourself acting strangely or out of character, and I'm not looking at any particular person in this room right now, 
But if you have found yourself acting a bit strangely, do you know what? I'm not surprised. You know, it's been a tough time. I think we have been pushed many times to the edge. I think there's some casualties from this period of time that we've been through, these battles that we have been through. Now, these people here in the wilderness had spent 40 years going through a dry and dangerous period in their existence. And I love what it says in verse 3. It says that God humbled you and caused you to hunger, and then he fed you so that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but from, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Us hearing an account the other day of an Australian rancher, okay, and he's based in Queensland, and he has a vast thousands of acres of land out there in the dry uh, country, and he's got thousands of heads of cattle in this huge, vast area of land. Now, the question is, how does he keep the cattle close to him? How does he stop the cattle from just disappearing off into the wilderness forever. And there's two ways that you could do that. One would be to put a huge perimeter fence all around this area. But that would be incredibly expensive and difficult. But the other way to do it, and this is what this rancher does, is to have water holes, watering holes, strategically positioned. So the reality is that the cattle will never wander more than a couple of hours away from a watering hole. They'll always keep coming back because they're in this dry place and they have to keep coming back to the rancher, if you like, to get their water. And that's what God has done with us. He's caused us to hunger, it says, and then he's fed us so that we learn that we depend on him. We have to keep depending on him. We have to keep coming back to him. We can't feed ourselves. We can't look after ourselves. We have to keep coming back to him. And so he humbled them to teach them and to cause them to depend on him. And every day he gave them manna, just enough for that day. Not more than they needed, but enough for what they needed each day. I love what it says in verse 4, how God provided for them, how their clothes and shoes did not wear out during that time. You know, God can provide for us in all sorts of ways, not just through some cash coming through the letterbox or something, but God is creative in the way that he provides for us, making things last, providing for us in all sorts of unexpected ways as well. And that's what they had experienced. And in verse 5, it says this, Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God has actually been disciplining them. Back in chapter 1 of verse 27, it tells us, Moses says, your father grumbled, uh, your fathers grumbled in their tents and said, the Lord hates us. He's brought us out of Egypt to destroy us. And Moses says, no, you've gone through this tough time not because he hates you, because he loves you, because he's treating you as a son, because he's disciplining you so that you might reap a harvest of righteousness. 
It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, that we should endure hardship as a discipline because God is treating us as his children. It's a sign of his love. And it tells us there that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So here in chapter 6 and verse 16, it says that uh, he gave you manna to humble you and test you so that in the end it may go well with you. God humbled us so that in the end we, it might go well for us. Do you believe that? Do you know that? The second thing, and this leads me to my second point, and by the way, these two points will be a lot quicker, but the second point is from this passage is remember what God has done. Remember how he protected you, set you free, provided for you. But now respond. Respond to his discipline. Be trained by his discipline. You know, if I go training uh, to my running club and if I go to an interval session, the coach has dreamt up some dreadful, painful, challenging session for us to go through. And I turn up and, of course, I have to choose to submit to his session that he has planned for us. And hopefully at the end of it, I've kind of benefited somehow and got stronger as a result. And God has devised a program of training for you. It's bespoke for you. It's individualized to your particular needs and abilities and situation. It's not some generic plan. It's for you. It's different. You may feel lonely in what you're going through because you think no one else understands. No, they probably don't because what God is putting you through is unique for you because he knows exactly what you need. And so we're to respond to his training. We're to receive, we're to learn, we're to grow through it. Respond to his love and respond to his commands. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, restates the Ten Commandments for the next generation and unpacks what those Ten Commandments mean for their life. And it's wide-ranging. It covers all areas of their lives, whether that's worshipping other gods, whether it's observing the Sabbath, whether it's building codes that protect against death, uh, to, 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 as an expression of do not murder, uh, whether it's treatment of their brothers, whether it's economic relief for the poor. It contains commands that cover every aspect of life, including, of course, how they treat their resources. And of course, I'm going to pick on one passage which because it's our gift day today, is relevant uh, to us. And that's in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14. And there, one of the commands that God gives in Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields 
that produce every year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where he's chosen is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. And so they're called to give. They're called to to recognize that this comes from God in the first place. And so they're going to give it to God as a response to his love. And if God blesses them in some way, then they're to respond to his blessing by giving to him. Now, the New Testament, of course, picks up on this principle and emphasizes that we are to give proportionately, we're to give generously, we're to give adventurously with faith, not compulsion. It's not in the script, but no one should give today just because reluctantly you feel pressured to give. It's got to be out of faith. It's got to be an adventure. It's got to be a sense of, hey, I'm, I'm trusting God. I, I feel God's going to do something through, through me responding in this way. And so it is a matter of faith that we, we give. You know, I was speaking to someone um, a little while back. I was preaching a few weeks ago, and, and someone uh, as I say, we, our giving is not anonymous in the church, but someone did come to me and say, you know, I was, I was sitting in my meeting at home watching it on the telly, and uh, they said, uh, I decided I was going to give some money to the building fund, and uh, they said, I was listening to you preach, and as I sat there, I felt God say, double it. And uh, they thought, well, I better do it, and I better do it now, otherwise I will go away, and then I'll forget, or I'll kind of change my mind. So they kind of wrote the check out again and, and put it in an envelope and posted it. And it's an adventure of faith. The um, stewardship uh, Christian charity that teaches about money and giving, it's a brilliant charity. They've provided trustee training for us, for example. In one article, they just say this about giving. If giving is to help us remember the giver, then what we give must be serious, generous, and meaningful because we cannot give to God that which costs us nothing. There is no place for casual, thoughtless, small gift giving. Giving that emphasizes gratitude and reminds us that, we all have a, that all we have is a gift from God must, the Bible says, be a priority for us and a gift in proportion to what giver God has given to us. I will just quibble with one word in that statement I read to you, small gift giving. I know what they mean, but you know what? If somebody gives a pound out of their pocket money, their five pounds pocket money, that, God loves that, that is an act of worship, and it counts just as much as any other gift that anybody gives. And so we must understand that this is a spiritual exercise that we are doing. And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant. Let's face it, folks, we're all rich, really, relatively speaking, aren't we? Those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope 
in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides for us. I want you to know today, we're not saying as a church that we should all just live as paupers, give everything away, uh, live, live on the streets and so on. Actually, God blesses us. God blesses us with nice meals and, and, and holidays and a nice piece of furniture for the, or a car or whatever. You know, in Deuteronomy, here in chapter 6, we read that God was going to bring them into a good land with bubbling brooks, not just with wheat and barley, bread to survive, but with vines and figs and pomegranates. I mean, who likes a pomegranate? Olive oil, honey, lovely houses, delicacies, copper, copper in the hills. There's just going to be copper minerals are just going to be there for them. God's going to provide. He says, you will lack nothing. That's what the verse says. You will lack so that you will lack nothing. Such is God's goodness towards us. He blesses us in unexpected ways and we're allowed to enjoy those things. But we don't put our hope in these things. And that leads me to my final point, which is this, release. As we give, we are being released from self-reliance and independence. We're being released from thinking that it's all down to us. We're being released into saying, hey, God gave me this. God is going to continue to provide for me. It's a, it's a release of our spirits. In chapter 6 and verse 12, it says that you may eat and satisfied. If you're not careful, you could settle down and all your gold and silver and your flocks multiplying, you could become proud and forget that it was God who did this for you. And finally, in verse 19, he, no, verse 17, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength has produced this wealth. No, remember, it was the Lord, your God, who gave you the ability to produce wealth and confirm his covenant with you. And so as we give, we are being released in our spirits every time we give we're kind of being released. Martin Luther said that we need, everybody needs three conversions. They need a conversion of the heart, they need a conversion of the head, and they need a conversion of the wallet. And the last of those three conversions is the test and reality of the first two conversions. If we've really been set free, then we will continue to be free from materialism and idolatry by continuing to be generous. In verse 19, it says, do not follow other gods and worship them. Listen, folks, let me finish by saying this. I want to encourage us today to keep God at the center, for us to keep relying on him, whether you're in plenty or whether you're in need right now, whether you're going through a hard time, we must keep coming back to him. Like those cattle, keep coming back to him. He humbles us. He says, keep coming back to me. Keep relying on me. Don't start out with me and then take it on and do it all in your own strength later on. Keep trusting me. Keep remembering him. Keep responding to him. 
Keep releasing our hearts to him. So Moses writes with a sense of urgency. They're on a cusp of a new adventure with God. And he says, now is the time. Today is the day. And it's not just about money. It starts with the heart. Today, let me ask you today, will you join me in saying to God, I'm all yours. My hopes, my future, my life is in your hands. All I have is yours. I'm not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that you speak, Lord. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to walk with you. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can we pray together? Lord God, we, we want to just come to you now. I do feel that we are on the cusp of a new adventure with you. There is a new season coming in individual lives and in the life of the church. And as we are sort of camped, getting ready for whatever is next for us, we want to fully commit ourselves again to you now. We want to say, Lord, you brought us this far and we want to carry on walking with you. We want to say, Lord, through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. But Lord, you will lead us safely home. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you through the testing, through the trials, through the discipline. We want to respond to your training. We want to say, oh God, please have your way with us. Make us your people. Make us everything you want us to be. We respond to you gladly. We say, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We say that we're so dependent upon you in everything and with everything. And so right now, Lord, we recommit ourselves to you. Lord, we recommit our lives to you. Oh God, we say, lead us into the promised land. Lead us into our inheritance. Lead us into the good things you've got for us. Oh God, open up the River Jordan. Do miracles. Take us forward as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.